welcome to The Ralph Report with Ralph Garman. Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to The Ralph Report for a Monday. The weekend's over. We're back at it, but I'm happy to be with you. It is the 23rd of April. Hope your weekend was great. Mine was busy, but good. It's going to be a busy week. You got a busy week coming up? I do. Uh, of course, Ralph Report all week long. But uh, I also am heading out at the end of the week to Iowa to perform Hollywood Babylon with my buddy Kevin Smith. We've got a couple shows coming up in Des Moines, Iowa on Friday night. Both of those shows sold out, by the way. Thanks so much, Des Moines, Iowa, for selling out two shows for us there. And then on Sunday night, we'll be in Iowa City at the Elgert Theater doing a Sunday night show. Uh, Still tickets available for that one. So if you want to go to the Elgert Theater's website, if you're in Iowa or near Iowa City, we'd love to have you come out and join us. You can also go to csmod.com to get your tickets. But anyway, uh, every time I have a a travel week, it's always a big deal because I'm not a great traveler. And packing and all that stuff is a nightmare. And also packing up equipment now so that I can still hit the uh, the Ralph Report when I'm on the road is an extra exciting bonus for me when I'm trying to not forget anything. So I will do the best I can because you know I love you and I love to talk to you. And it is a Monday and that means it's time for the top five things I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. Number five. Number five this weekend for me was the uh, surprising realization that I don't want to live forever. You know, when you have a kid, uh, it changes your opinion about living fast and dying young. You want to live forever because you don't want a thing to happen in their lives that you are not part and parcel of. You want to witness it all. And I felt that way after I had Olivia. You start taking care of yourself more too late, but you start taking care of yourself I quit smoking, you know, and, and you start worrying about your health and you want to live forever. But then I saw over the weekend um, that the oldest, world's oldest person died this weekend at the age of 117 years old. Her name was Nabi Tajima, a Japanese woman. She died Saturday over the weekend in the town of Kikai she, at the age of 117. She was the oldest person alive. The last known person born in the 19th century. She was born on August 4th, 1900. And she just passed away. And I saw footage of Nabi. She had been in a nursing home for many years. She was hospitalized since January. And I saw Nabi there in all of her glory, 117 years. And I don't want to be 117 years old. I just don't, unless medical science can make great leaps and advancements in technology to the point where you don't look like an infant. I mean, she was toothless and her eyes were shut the entire time and she was literally sucking her thumb like a, like a baby. And I said, nope, I don't want to be 117. I want to live as long as I can as well as I can, but just to be alive, to be alive, uh, laying in a hospital bed, sucking your thumb, 117, I will pass on that. I don't know what's waiting on the other side, but that looked grim to me. So 
To everyone who wants to live forever, more power to you. I'm rooting for you. But, uh, by the way, the uh, torch is now passed to Violet Brown of Jamaica. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. She passed away, leaving the title to Nabi Tajimi. Now, the, the next person, the person next in line is another Japanese woman, uh, Chiyo Miyako. She is the world's oldest person. She will turn 117 on May 2nd. So, a lot of 116-year-olds waiting in their place in line to take that, that title. And I wish them the best. Number four. Number four is something that I am embarrassed that I was not aware of until this weekend. Did you know that there is a secret Jack Daniels country club that you can join? No, me neither. Here's the thing about Jack Daniels. Jack Daniels and Frank Sinatra for a long time have had a very close relationship. Jack Daniels, the label itself, credits Sinatra for making them a superstar brand. It was way back in 1947 where Frank Sinatra was introduced to Jack Daniels by none other than Jackie Gleason. And if you don't know who Jackie Gleason is, you, there are schools y'all can go to. School yourself on who Jackie Gleason was. One of the great actor, comic performers of our time. Honeymooners. You know the Honeymooners, right? Anyway, he was a legend. And he and uh, Sinatra were drinking one night and he said, Kid, you got to try this Jack Daniels. It's great sauce. And um, Sinatra, like we all do at some point, all Jack drinkers, tasted it, fell in love with it, and it became his booze. That's what he drank. And there's a great story about one of his early trips to England where he wanted to show up looking classy like the upper crust Brits. And so he showed up in the classic British style of gray flannel trousers and a dark blue blazer, and it had a crest on the blazer. Um, families with long lineage have family crests that they put on their blazers in the UK. I don't know if they still do, but they certainly did back in the day. And so Sinatra shows up in a blue blazer with a crest on the pocket. And the media goes nuts because they want to know what is that crest. Is that Sinatra's uh, family's coat of arms? You know, what is it? And uh, someone got a a close look at it. And it was a patch that Sinatra had had made that was a Jack Daniels bottle surrounded, crossed with two golf clubs, and then the words Jack Daniels Country Club emblazoned on it. So that was his gag that he wore to England. And he also had that patch commissioned for himself and a few close friends and had them added to a custom-made blazer. And so he started this fictional organization, this fictional social club called the Jack Daniels Country Club. Flash forward to me now, I have received uh, recently a couple bottles of a high-end brand of Jack Daniels uh, delicious drinking whiskey called the Sinatra Select. They make a, a special blend of Jack Daniels dedicated to Frank Sinatra. And it's a high-end deal, and it costs a couple extra bucks, and uh, I've, I've gotten gifts of it. It comes in a beautiful case, and it's really gorgeous. But I haven't cracked a bottle. because I Look, here's the thing. I am fairly well-known as a Jack Daniels aficionado, and so a lot of people get me Jack as gifts. And trust me, I don't, I don't begrudge one of them. I don't look one of them 
as a gift horse in the mouth. I appreciate each and every drop that I've received. But the thing is, I can only drink so much. Even I can only drink so much Jack Daniels. So you do get backed up. You do have a, you know, you've got a bar full of it and maybe maybe a, you know, a, a cabinet or two full of Jack Daniels bottles. And I'm working my way through it. Don't worry, I'll get there. But the, you know, the high-end stuff I put on display in, on the, the bar in our dining room and it looks great. I just hadn't had the chance to crack one. Over the weekend, I cracked a bottle. And by the way, it's delicious. I mean, Jack is delicious. I love Jack Daniels. The, the uh, Jack Daniels single barrel, also great. Gentleman Jack, also great. I love all of the members of the Jack Daniels family. But this Sinatra Select is especially tasty. But there's a little slip inside of it that says, congratulations, you're now a member of the Jack Daniels Country Club. And it tells the origin story about Frank Sinatra and this club that he created. And you go online to the Jack Daniels website and you punch in your code and everything. And boom, you belong. You're now an official member of the Jack Daniels Country Club. So I became a member this weekend. Not that it means a goddamn thing. Sinatra's been dead for many years. And I don't think anything really comes from it. You don't get like a special you know, decoder ring or <laughs> a membership card or anything. But I just thought that was fun. It was a little, it was a little connection to Jack. And, and Frank and me, the three of us, got together this weekend. So I was happy to finally become an official member, long after uh, the chairman of the board is gone, but still an official member of the Jack Daniels Country Club. Number three. This was an interesting one. Number three was interesting. Uh, last week, we talked to Jay Busby, my buddy with Yahoo Sports, and we talked about the fact that there was a commentator who used the phrase cotton picking when referring to Russell Westbrook, the basketball player. And it was, um, he was not thinking, obviously, when he said it. It was not well received. The origins of uh, someone being a cotton picking fool or whatever go back, obviously, to the days of slavery. And it was a big deal in the media. A lot of people were upset, and, and I think rightly so. But while we were having the conversation... Either Jay or myself, someone used the phrase rule of thumb. And that caused one of the members of the Garmy to reach out with this voicemail message at the Ralph Report hotline, 1-833-HI-RALPH. And he dropped a little knowledge on me. Hey, Ralph. Brian from Mesa, Arizona again. Um, hey, I was calling. I was listening to your uh, show today. And you were talking about, you know, where the phrase cotton picking came from and things like that. Um, another one that a lot of people use, and actually I think you used it right in, within that segment, is rule of thumb. And uh, rule of thumb actually derives from when, um, you know, when men were allowed to beat their wives, uh, they can do it as long as it was no wider, the object they used was no wider than their thumb. So... I learned that from, you know, I used it all the time, and, um, you know, sometimes I, I think it still comes out. I just use it, but, um, yeah, it's one of those things where a lot of people don't realize where it came from. So just thought I'd let you know. Have a good one. Bye. So I was like, wow, I did not know that. I'm going to do a little research. So I did some research over the weekend, and it turns out that is not in, in the case at all. This apparently is a, a wives' tale that has been passed around for many years. But the truth is, there was a douchebag in England 
who suggested that it would be okay for a husband to hit his woman with a switch or a stick that was no thicker than his thumb, but that never became common law doctrine, never became official law in the UK or in England or any other country. It was, it was a point of contention and there was actually a debate whether it would be okay to do that or not in England. Imagine debating whether it's okay to beat your wife with a stick or not. Um, but the truth is that was never the source of the phrase rule of thumb. The actual source, according to linguists, according to cunning linguists, they say the actual source is uh, the thumb was used as an early uh, quick method of measuring. It was a quick, handy measuring tool used by carpenters because the tip of the thumb to the first knuckle of the thumb is almost always roughly an inch. So that became a quick measuring tool for carpenters. And also by tailors. And there is, in fact, a tailor's rule of thumb, which is the circumference of the thumb twice is the circumference of the wrist, and twice the circumference of the wrist is the circumference of the neck, and then twice the circumference of the neck is the waist's circumference. So tailors would use that rule of thumb, thumb, wrist, neck, waist, as an easy measuring tool for just generalizing measurements for making clothing. So that was the tailor's rule of thumb. And so the phrase rule of thumb of being commonplace knowledge without being exact uh, came to pass for many years. So that is the actual derivation of the phrase rule of thumb. So you can use it safely without reprisal from people saying that you're advocating beating your wife with a stick. So feel free. Number two. The number two thing I learned over the weekend is, and I did a story about this last week, I'd mentioned that the ratings for American Idol are lower than they've ever been in the show's history. Not a lot of people are watching American Idol. However, what I learned this weekend is a lot of you are watching American Idol. And I mentioned that I am, I am still watching. My daughter is um, hooked into it now. She's uh, rooting for her favorites. So we watch it as a family because there's very few TV shows that my wife and I and my kid can watch and all enjoy. I'll sit down and watch Disney Channel stuff with her. Trust me. I've seen my share of Bizarre Vark and Stuck in the Middle and Jesse and everything else that's on Disney. I don't necessarily love it, although Debbie Ryan on Jesse, right? You with me, fellas? Um, but the, the American Idol is something we can watch together. And Survivor is another one. But I got a ton of emails from people saying, you know what? You're right. American Idol's not really good this year, but I'm still watching. And here's what I think. And here's what I'm rooting for. Here's a, uh, an email from Fry. In Camarillo, California, he says, I too am watching American Idol and rooting for it. It's the only show that has produced legit stars like Carrie Underwood, Kelly Clarkson, and Jennifer Hudson. The criticism this season has been horrible. That's what I mentioned. The judges are just awful. They're pointless. They're useless. They don't say anything of value other than, hey, you're really, you're really growing. You're doing a great job. You're really, you're really moving along. It's pointless. Um... He says, they finally gave some critical feedback last night. This is talking about Sunday night last night. And uh, ABC, an and, and ABC exec probably had a talking with the trio. With that being said, Gabby is winning the thing. She is way ahead of the rest. Fry in Camarillo, California. Here's the thing. That's just simply not happening, Fry in, in Camarillo, California. Here's my take on who's going to win American Idol. You have to go with someone who is not 
already represented in the musical zeitgeist, if you will. And I think Gabby's terrific. I think she's very uh, Carrie Underwood-esque. I think she, she could make a real fine country star and probably will. She's not going to win American Idol, though. Because you need someone who is unique. And there is a, um, a drag queen competing this year for the first time. Ada, who is uh, remarkable. She is special and unique and has an amazing voice. But I think that, too, smacks a little bit of uh, shtick. You know, I don't think it is, but I think some people would say, eh, that's kind of a gimmick. However, the truest talent, in my opinion, in the competition, and if you're watching it all, this may ring true for you. If, if, it, if it doesn't, uh, indulge me. There's a kid out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Obviously, I got a bias already. From Philly, named Michael J. Woodard, 20-year-old kid. He is spectacularly unique. I, I do not know of anyone who is like him ever anywhere in the world. And that's why I like him for the winning, for winning American Idol, because he truly stands alone. And besides having an enormously talented voice, but he's a unique cat as well. And I think he's going to win for that, that reason. Although, you know, look, there's a bunch of like pretty boys in it. And there's some girls who are very sort of, uh, they got that vibe of all those girls come off the Disney channel and go on to make music like Demi Lovato and, etc 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 selena gomez and all those um it's a couple of those and that's who votes on this thing so they could one of them could easily end up winning but in my opinion michael j woodard he's the one to watch and he's his regular gig is he he uh, works at a bowling alley he's a bowling alley attendant i just love his story i just think it's terrific so that was the second thing i learned over the weekend that a lot of people are still watching american idol Number one. And the number one thing I learned this weekend is that, and I've said this before, and sometimes it takes a slap in my face for me to remember it, I truly have the best, most supportive folks in the world out there in the Garmy, and I want to thank you. I'm not going to rehash what happened on Friday, other than just to say, if you weren't aware of what was going on, I got into a little... Uh, surprising Twitter exchange with The Rock, which I didn't think was very aggressive at all. I just called him out on an ad that he was placing that I thought was uh, bullshit. And I used that phrase, and it was probably too uh, too harsh. But, you know, I said my, what I said, and I thought it was, uh, it was fair enough. It would set off a firestorm of uh, Twitter from his fans and, and my fans and people who listen to this show who are four-star generals who talked about that and I, I responded to them and I'll admit it I, I wear my emotions on my sleeve I can be an escalator at times I can um, I can be a bit of a hothead and so I probably reacted more than I should have although I do get a kick sometimes out of slapping trolls around on Twitter but uh, I probably should refrain from doing that because it just stokes the fire regardless I had I had a um a bad time of it Thursday night, I guess it was. So Friday I went on the Ralph report and talked about it. And I was pretty, I think, um, honest about my reaction and pretty vocal about how I felt. And I was, and it is a thing that can, can build up, you know, uh, if enough people, uh, nitpick at you and, and do uh, shitty things, even if they're in the minority, it can build up and it, it can, it boils over. But I'll tell you something, talking about it, the outpouring of support and love and honesty and emails and 
<clears throat> excuse me, um, uh, voicemails, unbelievable. I was blown away and so very deeply touched and grateful and thankful for all the kind, supportive things said by so many of you who went out of your way to reach out and say, don't let the assholes get you down. Don't let people try to uh, change who you are or what you do or how you do it. We're behind you 100%. I mean, just nothing but solid, really heartfelt support that I cannot, and you know who you are, and I read them all, by the way. I'm not gonna, I can't, obviously can't go through each and every person who sent an email or dropped a tweet or left a voicemail message, but I, I read it all, I heard it all, and I am saying to you, you know who you are. Thank you. It was a remarkably kind gesture on your part, and it made a world of difference. And something like that where you see the silent majority who's out there just listening to the show and digging it, and they don't maybe necessarily reach out and say something every day because they're busy and they got their lives and they're, they're cool with what you're doing and they're just going along for the ride. But when they take time and they drop you a note and let you know how they feel, it is the biggest boost in the world and it makes you feel like, okay, I'm going in the right direction and maybe I got some things to learn and things to course correct here at some point, but I'm still going the right way. And it's it's a tremendous gift and I thank each and every one of you for that gift. So that was the number one thing I learned this weekend, that you guys are awesome and I truly do appreciate it and that's why I sign off this show each and every time with I love you, I mean it because it's true. It's a remarkable gift that you guys give me on the reg and it, it it means the world. So thank you. All right, that's it. That's those are the top five things I learned this weekend. The top five things I learned this weekend. All right, let's get into the meat of the show, shall we? The way we do what we do by looking at all the entertainment news with a little segment called the Showbiz Beat. It is a Monday. That means we like to take a look at the top ten movies at the box office. Talk about who went to see what. At the theaters this weekend, A Quiet Place, once again coming in at number one with $22 million this weekend. Rampage came in at number two, starring The Rock, $21 million right behind it. I Feel Pretty came in at three with $16.2 million. Super Troopers 2 debuted with $14.7 million, making it number four. Truth or Dare was fifth. Ready Player One came in at number six. Blockers showed up at number seven with almost $7 million this weekend. Black Panther was eighth. Traffic came in at number nine, and Isle of Dogs rounding out your top ten at the box office with $3.4 million. A couple high-profile deaths over the weekend. Boy, this one was a shocker. Avicii, legendary Swedish DJ, passed away at the age of 28 years old. Best known probably for his hit Wake Me Up, but uh, also just for being one of the leaders in the EDM world, he was one of the most successful DJs on the planet. Could make up to a million dollars a night when he performed. He recently quit performing live, citing health reasons, but also his desire to get back into the studio, and he did just that. But at the age of 28, he did pass away on Friday afternoon, and um, he had his battles with substance abuse. No word yet on what the cause of death was, but at 28, your mind automatically goes to, I wonder if it was substance abuse. So we'll have to wait and see. Another performer leaving us way too soon at the age of 49, Vern Troyer. Best, of course, known for Mini-Me. 
in the Austin Powers films. He passed away. Um, now, again, no exact cause of death. But in the statement left by his family, it says, Vern was also a fighter when it came to his own battles. Over the years, he struggled and won, struggled and won, struggled and fought some more. But unfortunately, this time was too much. Now, he had dealt with issues of depression and suicide. And it was mentioned in the family statement, depression and suicide are very serious issues. You never know what kind of battle someone is going through inside. Be kind to one another and always know it's never too late to reach out to someone for help. This was the, these were the words of uh, Vern Troyer. So, I don't know... Um, he also had alcohol abuse problems in the past. He did a rehab stint in 2017. There's a lot of potential reasons behind his death, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter, right? It just matters that a 49-year-old man has passed away and somebody who gave us a lot of joy in movies like Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, and Goldmember in the original. Also had roles. Uh, he worked in the Harry Potter film, the first one, as Griphook, the, the goblin. Worked in the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. He worked a ton, so um, sad news that Mini-Me is gone at 49 years old. You know, I love the collectibles, and Michael Jackson's moonwalk shoes are up for auction. If you're a Michael Jackson fan, you can have the black loafers that Michael Jackson used to perform the signature moonwalk dance step for the first time ever on stage. They're going up for auction. This, of course, was his uh, iconic performance of Billie Jean at the 25th anniversary of Motown TV special, 1983. I can't believe it's been that long since we first witnessed the moonwalk. Anyway, the shoes are up for auction. You can have those loafers. I think starting bid is the low, low price of $10,000. So if you got an extra $10,000 in change between your couch cushions, dig it out, slap it down the table, and get yourself some Michael Jackson black loafers apparently they were floor shine imperial leather shoes if you ever want to get your own pair and i think that's what they go for now at nordstrom is ten thousand dollars anyway so you get a good deal and as i mentioned last week i did have a little uh, a surprising twitter exchange with the rock and i want to let it be known and i hope i made this clear that i am a fan of the man i think the rock is enormously talented and charismatic and I like the majority of the work that he puts out in the world. I got no problem with the guy. I simply had a problem with an ad that he was putting out there on Twitter. And I, and I said as much. But to show you what a cool guy he is and uh, how much I am a fan of his, I got to do this story. It's so cool. There was a girl in a Minnesota high school, a senior named Katie Kelsenberg, who via Twitter asked the, the Rock to go to prom. And it's a very common thing now where people ask celebrities to go to prom. And she said, will you rock it with me at the prom? And she sent out that video into the social media world. And she got a response from The Rock. And here's what he had to say. Messages for a very special young lady. Her name is Katie Kelsenberg. I hope I pronounced your last name right, Katie. Uh, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for inviting me to your prom. Unfortunately, I can't make it that weekend. I'm going to be in Hawaii shooting Jungle Cruise. I just want to take a moment to let you know how awesome I think you are. You stepped out of your comfort zone to ask me to the prom. Katie, girls and women, they get shy around me. 
high-level professional women get very shy around me and they don't say anything until I leave. And here you are, you're like, yo, Rock, I'm your biggest fan. I love you, take me to the prom. I love that about you, Katie. As a surprise, because I can't make it, this weekend, I'm gonna rent out a theater close to your house. A rampage on me. Invite your friends, invite your family, soda, popcorn, candy, everything free, everything's on me. Enjoy Rampage. I got you. By the way, you made my gym wall right there. When you make the gym wall, you know you're special and you're cool. I hope some chivalrous boy takes you to the prom. You know what? You, both, you might not even need a boy. Go with your girlfriends. Have a blast. Enjoy Rampage. And I love you for being an awesome fan. So although he did decline her invitation to prom, uh, she and 231 of her closest friends, because that's the capacity at the theater nearby, uh, are going to get to see Rampage and eat all the popcorn and drink all the soda on the rock. So a very kind gesture from a man who was uh, responding to a very sweet offer from a high school girl. So good for you, Rock. Well done. And a lot of people talking about Donald Trump over the weekend uh, when many people were saluting and grieving the uh, mother of a president and the wife of a president, Barbara Bush, Donald Trump was tweeting about his conversation with Sylvester Stallone. And this was, this hit Twitter on Saturday. And here's Donald's tweet. He said, Sylvester Stallone called me with the story of heavyweight boxing champion, Jack Johnson. His trials and tribulations were great. His life complex and controversial. Others have looked at this over the years. Most thought it would be done, but yes, I am considering a full pardon. And everybody's like, uh-huh? <laughs> Why are you talking about Jack Johnson and pardoning him when there's real shit going on in the world? Why don't you, a little less Jack Johnson, a little more Syria, North Korea, uh, healthcare, I mean, you name it, a long list of things. Look, the Jack Johnson story is an interesting one. I think the guy deserves a pardon. It was a racially motivated conviction, obviously, but um, weird, weird tweet, especially when a lot of people were tweeting tributes to, to Barbara Bush. It was strange. And a lot of people are saying he's doing it simply trying to bolster his image with the African-American community because Jack Johnson was the first black heavyweight champion of all time and is a, a beloved figure. For those who don't know, he was... Um, convicted for taking his white girlfriend across state lines in 1913. That's what the charge was that was going to sentence him to prison. And he skipped, by the way. He went to, went to Europe to avoid spending time in prison. But that's what his charge was. It was the Man Act, which was, was meant to stop human trafficking. But the, a lot of people were pissed off because he was a high-profile black man who liked to have sex with a lot of white women. And that's what cheesed people off, and that's what um, eventually led to his conviction. And so that's what they would be pardoning if they do pardon Jack Johnson. But do you really think Sylvester Sloan, who's in the midst of filming Creed 2, went out of his way to call up Trump? I'm guessing, well, I don't have to guess. I think Donald Trump called Sylvester Stallone because he loves Hollywood and he's looking for a way to ingratiate himself with the African-American community. That's my bet. And you know how I, why I think that? Because we at the Ralph Report get the scoops that no one else gets. And we've got actual audio of the phone call made by Donald Trump to Sylvester Stallone. We have actual tapes. I don't want to say where I got this from. I can't. I swore I swore my contact to secrecy. But here is Donald Trump calling Sylvester Stallone and talking about Jack Johnson. 
is the Donald? Oh, the Donald? You mean like Donald Trump? He's like the President of the United States. That's right. Congratulations. Unbelievable. You're getting a call from me. Well, you know, I'm like honored, you know, but I'm not really Rocky, you know. I'm Sylvester Stallone. You know, I play Rocky. Terrific. Guess where I'm calling you from? Uh, the White House. Wrong. The bathroom in the White House. Is that unbelievable? They have a phone right here next to the toilet. Unbelievable. Greatest bathroom ever. That sounds great, but I'm real busy, you know. I'm like making a movie. Well, Rocky, the reason I'm calling you is because you're a boxer. You must know a lot of black guys. And I need a cause to let black people know that I'm on their side, okay? Like, I'm really, really their friend. Well, I don't know. You gotta, like, you know, there's a lot of cases where you're, like, you know, with white supremacists and things, you know? It's a little bit hard. Exactly. So give me a great black guy that I can get behind. What's your pal Apollo Creed doing? Is he still around? I'd love to make him the Secretary of the Interior. Well, he's not really real, you know? That's perfect. He'll fit right in with my cabinet. But you know what you could do? You could, like, you know, pardon Jack Johnson. How would that help me with black people if I pardon the guy who sings Bubbly Toes? No, Jack Johnson was, you know, the champ. He was, like, the heavyweight champ. And, you know, he was, you know, he was, like, railroaded. He was wrongfully convicted, you know? It was completely mental. I love it. I want to get a picture with this guy. Can you bring him to the office? Uh, I don't know, because, you know, he, like, died in 1946. Uh, come on, Rocky. Don't you know any live black people? All right, fine. I'll pardon this guy. It'll be great. And then black people will know I'm on their side. What crime did he commit, by the way, that made people want to put him in jail? Uh, he slept with a lot of white ladies. Oh, that is not going to play with my base. We're going to need to come up with somebody else. Does Mr. T need a pardon? Hello? Hello? Rocky? I have a tiger. There you go. Let's take a look and see who was born on this day. April 23rd. A lot of stars born today. Lee Majors, the $6 million man. He is 79 years old today. Actress Blair Brown is 71. Joyce DeWitt, Janet from Three's Company is 69. Actor James Russo celebrates his 65th birthday. Michael Moore, director of many documentaries, 64 years old today. Actress Judy Davis is 63. Valerie Bertinelli is 58. George Lopez, comedian? He's 57 years old. John Cena, wrestler turned actor. We've talked a lot about him lately with his uh, prenup when his girlfriend was just going to move in with him. 75 pages? Yeah. 41 years old today. Comedian and actor John Oliver is also 41. Cal Penn from House and Harold and Kumar, of course, is 41 as well. Dev Patel from Slumdog Millionaire, 28 years old. And model Gigi Hadid celebrates her 23rd birthday. I'm Ralph Garman. I walk the showbiz beat. And this week's guest all week long is my pal and one of the best actors I know personally. He is a terrific actor, also a terrific director. That's how I first met him. He was a director on a project that I worked on, and we became fast friends. His name is Tim Decay. Uh, you may know him from Carnival. You may know him from Tell Me You Love Me. But you probably know him best from his long run on USA's hit TV series, White Collar, where he starred opposite Matt Bomer. 
Matt played Neil Caffrey, a very uh, talented con man who ended up working for the FBI as an informant. And his handler, and then eventually through the run of the series, best friend, Peter Burke, Agent Peter Burke, was played by my buddy Tim Decay. So all week long, I'll be featuring my interview with Tim. It is a great one because we're old pals, and so we goof around, we have a good time. But I learned things about Tim that I had no idea before we sat down for this conversation. Here is the first installment of my chat with Tim Decay. When I think of American actors... <laughs> All right, this is going to be a silly interview, boys and girls, because I've known this next guest for uh, a long time. But he is an he is an American actor in the sense, and I'm serious. When I think of certain actors, some of them have an American thing about them, which sounds ridiculous because all actors from America are American actors. But I think of like Henry Ford, not Henry Ford. He made automobiles. <laughs> um, who am I thinking of? Uh, Henry Fonda, Henry Fonda, Jimmy Stewart. Tim Decay has that sort of quality, that very American quality about himself. Wow. And I think he he plays that uh, to his strengths in many roles. And then when he plays against it, it's even more interesting. But he's an enormously talented actor. Above and beyond that, he's a really good guy. And he's here with me today. Hello, buddy. How are you? Good, pal. Thanks for having That's me That's your here. intro. This is great. That's an awesome intro. Um, can I can that? Can absolutely. I? Okay, I'll wrap that up for you. <laughs> uh, currently can be seen with Holly Hunter and Tim Robbins. Yes. On, uh, I'm sorry, the name is... is I'm here and now. Here and now. On HBO. On HBO. You're Alan kind of the Ball. king of HBO. You've done several I am, products I so, with them. Uh, so they, they called me up and asked me if I'd like to do this. And uh, of course, I wanted to work with Holly Hunter and Alan Ball wrote it. And they for asked... those who don't know, Alan Ball also created Six Feet Under for yes. that network as well. And... They asked me if I would be okay with perhaps showing my backside, my my butt. Um, and I shared this. It's going to sound like I'm name dropping now. I, I was at a baseball game, a Dodger game with Rodrigo Garcia. Uh-huh. And I shared that question they had with Rodrigo. And Rodrigo said... Well, they can just go to the archival footage of HBO because you've you've shown your butt on every show yeah. you've done, and I have. Tell me you love me. Yes, I do. Was, was no, no. Was oh, the name of right, the television the show, show. Yes, yes. Um, was more than just your butt. You were you were yeah. buck naked at every episode of that. Damn <laughs> no, thing. not every every episode. episode. <laughs> you rarely had clothes uh, on, and and surprisingly, the show did fairly well. Yes, it did. Uh, uh, surprisingly, but uh, yeah. So so you have no problem showing your ass. No, yeah. I, I, and frankly, I, I'd wish you'd put some pants on right now because it's a well, little I distracting. Thought, I thought we would, <laughs> and these seats are vinyl, so you you may be stuck. You told me it would be our regular Wednesday, and so I just came. Oh, uh, let's start at the beginning. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yes, Lansing, New York. Hmm, a great place to grow up. And again, as American as apple pie, upstate New York, right? It, is it, it near Syracuse? Is it? It place? is. Well done. Yeah. Well done, buddy. Uh, it's about it's an hour. Ithaca, right? Isn't Ithaca, Ithaca. around there? That's Ithaca like is the reason big, I know it. Ithaca is a big town. Yeah. That's where Cornell and Ithaca College are. Right. Lansing is just outside and it's, it's farmland. It's, uh, if the kids at Lansing High School and Lansing Elementary and Middle School were, it were divided into two groups, roughly, those who farmed mm-hmm. and those whose mom or dads were associated with 
Cornell or Ithaca College. Gotcha. Uh, and I think I kind of fell in the middle because my mother's uh, grandfather, my mother's mo- uh, mom and dad were farmers. And but my dad was in the wine and liquor business, so he's somewhat associated with Cornell and Ithaca College. With uh, Cornell had a big hotel school there, but it's great. You know, I I grew up across the street was forty acres of, wow. of farmland, and I grew up on a three acre, three acres, and we had woods, and it it was classic. It's funny you mentioned that about American because. It came home and just went up the street to the Buchanan's house, which was quite a ways up. Either you ran or rode your bike. And right. then my mom had a huge whistle. And at six o'clock around <laughs> that time, you heard it. As and the sun was going down, go. it was time for go. dinner. Yeah, my yeah. brother, Jamie, and I would have to get down there. Um, did your mom's family still have the, the property, the land? No, they didn't. That, they didn't. It was gone um, by then? It was gone by then. My he My grandfather sold it, and then he had a... Uh, he sold Chevrolet cars. Um, but no, she, you know what? I'm going to tell you a story, which I think is really interesting. All right. So when they had the farm, my grandparents and my mom was a little girl, four or five German POWs that had been shipped over worked on that farm. No way. Isn't that crazy? I'd never heard of yeah. World War II POWs being used as as farmhands ever. It, it was that's a that's a movie. You should write. I that. know it. It is. Yeah. It, it's. Uh, and, yeah, we're here to take care of your corn now. <laughs> yes, we will shuck for you. We are the shuckers. I am. I am. I am Mr. Stucker. I'm Hans Stucker and a shucker. I'm a Stucker shucker. They. Uh, yeah. They, there was a POW camp and. So uh, where they were, which was near Lansing, that's a good five-hour drive from New York City. Yeah. So, I mean, these POWs were inland, you know? They were, they were far from home. Uh, I'm surprised that they brought them to the States. You would think they would just set up camps in, in Europe. The amount of money that it took to take them back to... Maybe they had so many. I don't know. Yeah, but, maybe. So the that's deal was... So, yeah, so the deal was... My grandma had to feed them, but they got, you know, free help. Uh, from wow. The, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? It is. Yeah. Um, dad anyway. was in the booze business. Dad was in the booze business. God bless him. Yeah. God, yeah. He was doing the Lord's work. He, he would say that uh, whether the economy is good or bad, I'll be in business because people will celebrate if the economy is good and they'll want to forget about the economy. He's not wrong. No, no, yeah. he's not. I've never found an occasion not to have a drink. <clears throat> no, that's true. <laughs> um, so you're a kid running around Lansing, New York on your bike, listening for mom's whistle at the end of the day. Yeah. Dad's in the liquor business. Yeah. Mom was a stay-at-home mom? School teacher. School teacher. Yeah. Wow. How does a kid growing up in Lansing, New York, get the itch to become a performer? I'm always fascinated by the origin story of people who have no real obvious connection to show business in quotes yeah. or the arts in general. What happens to you? What's the turning point that makes you say, wow, this is something I'd like to do? Not even necessarily professionally, but yeah. what was your first sort of introduction to the arts and, and performing? Well, I think it, it, that's interesting because I think it's I think it's twofold, and you'd probably have the same kind of answer. While 
my family was great, loving, and uh, my parents had separated at a pretty early age. I think I was eight or so, but I loved to pretend Hmm. to go somewhere else in my imagination. And, but it was physicalized. Some kids love to pretend and they draw and they, you know, they delve into a world that way. Some like to write for me, it was, it was play acting and I would, I would play all these games with my brother and my mom and we, and, and then other kids. And when we're playing cowboys and Indians outside, yeah, I, I felt so happy really being a cowboy or an Indian, depending mm-hmm. on how we played that day, right. hiding behind a bush or whatever. It, it was such a joy. But I thought that's all it would be. You know, just... Sure. Yeah, and then I'll, I'll, I'll do... And then when they said, hey, we're doing Sound of Music in fourth grade, I thought, yeah, that'd be fun. I like to sing. Mm-hmm. And then all through high school, it was I did plays, but it was fun. It was great. Yeah. I get to pretend and now somebody claps and laughs when I'm pretending. Right. And then... It wasn't until much later that I had that moment of, oh, I'm still doing plays. I'm still, even though I have a job, even though I think I want to be something else when I grow up, I'm still pretending. Hmm. I wonder. And those are your favorite moments probably of your your week or month or year. And then, exactly. And then it was at that moment where, hmm, I wonder if I could get paid to pretend. Like, in, it was my life, I realized. I wonder if I could make it my livelihood. And what point was that? Are you in college at this point? Or at you that point, that? I'm out of college. I'd done plays in college. I'd done plays in high what school. What was your major in college? What were you uh, looking for? In high for? business administration. What, I, what was the plan? What were you, what could you have been? I, what were you thinking? I could have been um, maybe a lawyer. I was, yeah. Because I minored in philosophy, I thought maybe I want to be a lawyer. Uh uh, but then I re- realized, oh no, no! I just wanna, I wanna play lawyer. Yes. I just, I just wanna walk into a courtroom drama and throw my briefcase on right. the table and look over at the prosecutor. Um, you want to be Perry Mason? Yeah, you don't I just, go through. I didn't really no. And then I thought because I watched the TV show Paper Chase, I thought I wanted to be a law student. Oh yeah, I could. Uh. That's uh, romantic. So, yes, exactly. Ooh, I could. I'll wear sweaters and I'll go <laughs> some. I'll go. I'll go somewhere. You, you can know, only wear east. sweaters I'll stay in law school. East. Yeah, only. Yeah. yeah, and and suffer and not go home on long breaks because <laughs> that papers do. Were you much of a TV movie kid? Did no, you, really. No, yeah. I mean, I watched TV growing up, the yeah. Brady Bunch and what have you. Right. And but you weren't obsessed with watching. Uh, no, that no. Stuff. No, it's again. I, I go back to I was, I was obsessed with pretending, mm. it, and and you no, know, my wife gets mad at me sometimes because she'll mention a film and I say I've never seen that. She, what? Oh, you? What why is this Godfather? You, you speak of? <laughs> I hadn't seen Star Wars until about ten years ago. No way! Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you. Were- my whole family, you, Dad. Oh, you're a jerk <laughs> for not seeing it. You're an they actor. Get angry at you. So to go back to your answer, your question, it was after college uh, where I was out in the world. I was working for Rico Copiers. I had a townhouse with some buddies. I had a new car 
and I was still doing plays. I was doing community theater. Where were you? In Syracuse, in New Syracuse. York. Yeah, because my the school I went to was Lemoyne College in my undergrad, and I thought, well, this is I'm I'm building sets, and it's twelve thirty at night, and I'm in the play, and I've got to be to work at eight. Mm. And by then, I was working at this place it's called Marcellus Casket Company. I worked at a casket company for about two years, and I thought, well, maybe I should like go all in. Yeah, and I did. New York City? Was that the next New York City. Rutgers, three years of studying with Bill Esper. Oh, so you went to Rutgers to get another degree? I did, to get a master's degree. FMA? Yeah. MFA? MFA. MFA? Yeah. And that's where I met my lovely wife, Lisa. Two good choices to go there. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. And Uh, she, so this will show you how provincial I was, right? Right. Yeah. You're Jimmy Stewart. You're you're Hank Fonda. (laughs) So it's a first day of class. I don't know about you. I think probably at that age, okay, first day of class. We're the cute ones. <laughs> sure. Oh, Gotta do your recon. Oh, yeah, recon. And, oh, wow, look at that dark-haired gal. She's beautiful. She's got an ASU tank top on, Arizona State. Mm, party school. Arizona. I didn't even. I did, did. I don't even know if I knew it was a party school, but it was Arizona, which is exotic. And I swear to you, like wow, she's seen wow. cactus. <laughs> Honestly, and I thought, and she was beautiful and cute. And is this in the theater class? Yeah, yeah. First day, and I thought, okay. And then we were assigned scene partners, and the rest, oh, the rest yeah. is history. Yeah. And when she saw your voluminous talent, there was no way she could, <laughs> she could turn you down. No, yeah. Well, as I tell my kids, I say, you know, mommy kept asking me out, and I felt sorry for her. That's so kind of you. Yeah. Yeah. More of my conversation with Tim Decay tomorrow. Also, our UK correspondent, Steve Ashton, is going to stop by. And I'm going to tell you the story of how I met my wife and how it ties into the fact that you can save a life with one simple act all of that tomorrow here on the ralph report if you're listening to the show for free and you haven't signed up yet at patreon.com slash the ralph report why don't you go ahead and do that make sure you don't miss a single episode all week long i'm looking forward to talking to you tomorrow i love you i mean it bye